welcome back to episode two of the Veteran State of Mind podcast. Today is a very special episode. I have the one, the only, the wife. Uh, how are you doing today, Jacqueline? Good. Thanks Good. for having me on. Yeah, no problem. Um, tell me a bit about yourself and your background. Sure. Yeah. So um, currently, I, I work in the corporate field. Um, in the dental field, but before that I was in the military. I served six years in the Coast Guard. Um, and before that, I am an Army brat. Both my parents are Army and my stepdad is Coast Guard. Nice. That's awesome. Now, the Coast Guard, what did you do while you were in the Coast Guard? So my first unit, I wasn't rated, so I was a seaman. And I was at a small boat station. So I was in E3 um, while I was waiting for my A school, for Corman School, out in Petaluma. And that was about a two-year wait, but people fell through. So I got my orders in less than a year. Um, And then I left that first unit, and I went out to Petaluma for Corman School and for Dental Assisting School. And then I ended up at the Coast Guard Academy clinic. Nice. Um, Did you do anything special while you're at the clinic? I worked in a lot of different departments, but, you know, I was a medical assistant, and then my specialty was dental assisting. That's probably where I spent (laughs) the least amount of my time at the academy was in dental. But um, that was what my specialty was, was dental assisting. Nice. Now, was the military always your plan after high school? What led you to the Coast Guard? No, absolutely not. The military was not (laughs) anywhere on my radar until I graduated high school. And uh, my mother asked uh, what my plans were because I wasn't going to stay there. Um, So my stepdad being in the Coast Guard, you know, really talked me up about the Coast Guard and both my mom and dad being prior army it was limited right so they were like well you're not going to join the army because you're our daughter but you also can't join the marines and then my stepdad being coast guard i couldn't join the navy so it was either air force or coast guard and i love being on the water nice thank you what um would you say that your mother and father both being in the military kind of maybe persuaded you or swayed your decision about military service at some point? Yeah, I think I I looked up to both of my parents for joining the military at such a young age. I'm pretty sure my dad and my mom both signed at 17 back in the 70s. And then, you know, Greg being in the Coast Guard, I always envied him. He always had a great tan. And he talked about all the fishing that he would do. But I honestly think that had I not joined the military, I don't know what I would have done. So I think I'm your classic military joiner of, hey, you have no plans after high school and you have a little bit of a shitty attitude. So the military is probably the best place for you to go. Yeah, no, I can agree. Right. That's why a lot of people join. Yes. Nothing else really going to go on for them. And they're like, can't stay here. Exactly. And had I stayed in that small town. Who knows where I would have ended up. Yeah. No, that's a lot of people, unfortunately. Some people never leave. But you made a decision to make your life a little bit better, and that's good. Now, 
did you face any particular challenges being a female in the military? Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of them, and we're talking about early 2000s, you know, and I remember showing up to my first unit. It was a small boat station, and, you know, one of the guys was walking me around, and um, there wasn't even barracks for me, right? It was pretty much all men there, but they had to separate a room, and there was one other woman showing up too, so it was something they were going to have to do anyway, but he literally said, oh, this is where you'll be staying. This is the morale gear locker, and that was my first day there, and I was like, wow, so that is their impression, Um, but I was the only woman there for a while, at least in my section, and then I went off to school, and that's where there were more women, because it's the healthcare field. So even though you're in the military, the majority of corpsmen are, are women, for the most part. Okay. Is there anything else, maybe for any other people that might be thinking about joining the military, women joining, or women that are in, anything that you think might need to be addressed, or things that you saw as problem areas? Like coming, you know, and being an only <laughs> female person in a small boat unit, you can imagine that'd be, you know, coming with its areas of challenge. Yeah, no, there's there are a lot of pieces of advice I wish that I had been given that my mom didn't give me right until after I had joined and I'd been in for a year or so. But the military, as much as it tries to be progressive with women, you know, at least my personal experience, it was not progressive. It was very much what people would consider the old guard. Um, Women weren't necessarily accepted everywhere as willfully as men were, but it really depends on on what people want. You know, I, I grew up mostly with my dad, and so I had a bit tougher skin. I'm the youngest of, of three kids, them being women. Women are much more brutal than men when it comes to verbal abuse against each other. So I think that I had some pretty thick skin going in and I had a sense of humor, which I think also is helpful when you're with people more than you are with your your family. But it really depends. Every unit is going to be a very unique situation for women. Every branch is going to be different. Every, um, what do you guys call ranking over there for your rate and your rank? Oh, like your MOS? Yes. Yeah, your they, job, don't, yeah. they don't call that that in the Coast Guard. But it really depends on, on what field you choose. It's obviously the military is male-dominated, but then you're going to look at different rates that are more male-dominated than others. So every situation is going to be unique. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, Okay. Now, while you're in the Coast Guard, is that when you decided to start pursuing your career in dental hygiene, when you switched to the medical side? No, you know, I had always been really interested in dental ever since I was younger. It's been a weird obsession just in general with teeth. So when I joined the military, I became a corpsman to become a dental assistant. Um, Different branches do their A schools and C schools differently. Like for the Navy, you don't have to be a medical assistant to be a dental assistant, but in the Coast Guard, you do. So the medical portion, I've never really thoroughly enjoyed. It's always been the dental aspect of it. But once I got into dental assisting, worked in the lab a little bit, 
I knew that I wanted to work in dental in some capacity. And looking back, if I could turn back, right, hindsight's always twenty twenty. I just would have gone to dental school. You know, I love being a dental hygienist, but I wish that I would have taken the extra time then because I feel like I could have made a bigger impact as a dentist as opposed to being a hygienist. What are some of the major differences between a dental assistant and a dental hygienist? Because I know a lot of people don't know the difference, and some people are like, who's that person that I saw in my chair, and then is the, where's the dentist, and I'm out of here, right? So yeah. what's the difference there? Because some people don't know. A lot of people don't A lot of people don't know, actually. They're like, where's Tammy? She scraped my teeth. And that's really <laughs> what people think about uh, their dental hygienist. There are so much more schooling involved when it comes to dental hygiene as opposed to dental assisting. Dental assistants still have to go through quite a bit of training. It's more of a certification process, not necessarily a professional degree. So for dental hygiene, you have to take national boards, you have to take a written board, you have to take a clinical board, and dental assistants have less um, classes that they have to take. So in most states, you can do on-the-job training for dental assisting, and that's not the case for hygiene. So some states require um, assistants to be registered or to have certain amount of clinical hours under their belt. So it's really the amount of schooling and the licensure around it. Great. Thank you. Now, school for dental hygiene. Talk to me about that. Was that right after you left the Coast Guard or was that a couple years down the road? Some people like to wait, you know, take that kind of college year that hiatus yeah the hiatus right (laughs) but just doing it after the military because you know yeah come out we feel like we're nine years old and crusty I couldn't financially afford to take a break I wish I could have but you know I had a really good chief I had a few chiefs at the academy but I had one really good chief that you know I still talk to today we were gonna do that you know run with him down in Rhode Island and he knew that I didn't want to stay in and so He had really helped me take classes while I was in, you know, got me set up with tutoring. So before I got out, I had already used like tuition assistance and FAFSA to get my associates. And then I had to take a couple more science classes. So I didn't take a break. I think um, I got out on Valentine's Day. Actually, I got out 30 days early in lieu of school because I was starting microbiology and I needed to be able to take those clinical courses in person. So instead of getting out in March, I got out in February. And then I finished that and moved down to North Carolina um, because my boyfriend at the time had gotten orders down to Elizabeth City. Um, And I had already gotten into Old Dominion University in Norfolk. So I had to take a couple more science classes and then I started dental hygiene um, the following fall. So I didn't take a break. Okay, nice. So you definitely recommend using as many military benefits as possible before you get out, tuition assistance, Yes. anything else you can come across. 100%. You know, if I didn't have that one chief that took the time to ask me, what do you want to do? Are you a lifer? And I'm like, absolutely fucking not. I cannot be a lifer. I can't. I knew why I joined. 
and I just knew that it also wasn't for me. So once he knew that I wasn't a lifer, that he didn't really invest that military time in me. And he kind of let me do my own my own thing for the most part. But he helped me. One of the cadets came over to tutor me and he set that up. And I feel like had I not had someone on the inside to tell me about all of these different programs that I could use, I wish that at my first unit, that first year I was there sitting on watch, like on E-bombs world, <laughs> trying not to fall asleep. I wish I would have known that I could have enrolled in school and that there was a program there that paid for that. Yeah, no, definitely. I feel like a lot of people don't know about it or use it, um, but definitely sounds like you had a good leader there mm -hmm. and a mentor, not just someone wearing some rank. Because yeah. you see that all too often. People get big heads, walk around like they're hot shit. Yeah, absolutely. they don't want to help anybody. Exactly. I mean, it... It's not just the military because I see it in my corporate job, my previous corporate jobs. And, you know, just because they're a military leader on the outside, if they don't have the right leadership training, they're still an incompetent leader, whether they're in the military or they're not. Right. Yeah, exactly. And so I think that this particular leader, this particular chief knew that whatever my success looked like, it was also his success. And it may not have been the traditional path of 20 20 years ride or die in the military, but he at least kept me engaged for the four years I was there because he knew what I wanted to do with my life, but I also gave it 110% while I was there because I was serving a leader that cared. That's good. Yeah, mm -hmm. that definitely makes a difference, I feel like, because someone's just walking around, you know, not doing anything, not setting the standard not living by it mm -hmm. then no one's going to really respect them and they're going to kind of look at them like clowns and that's somebody you don't want to be taking orders from especially you know shit gets crazy yeah now would you say that your military career helped you for your career in the civilian workforce at all 100 percent, because i think that what we tend to forget about is a lot of people join the military at a very young age right I joined at 18. Had I gone to college, I would have played a lot of beer pong. Um, I would have skipped a lot of class and I wouldn't have taken things seriously. But when you're pushed and you're in the military and you're boot camp at 18, you don't really have a choice, right? At some point, you become a leader and you become a leader very quickly. And you can have leaders at 18, 19. You don't know what that's going to look like. And so I think that the military doesn't always give you the right tools and what leadership should look like. But when you're forced into it, you do learn how to build relationships. You learn how to lead a team. You're rough around the edges for sure. You know, that's one of uh, the first feedbacks I got when I hit corporate into a leadership role. I got the job done, right? They teach us you're going to get the job done no matter what but I was also leading very sternly. And that doesn't resonate with everybody, especially on the outside. On the inside, when you're active duty, you know that they have to talk to you like that because you need to understand the severity and no one cares. You just have to get the job done. Where on the outside, you have to be much more empathetic, which you know, I struggle with that because I'm like, let's just get the job done whatever the fastest way and the most correct way, that's the way that we're going to do it. 
not taking into account how other people are feeling, right? Yeah, and so you got to deal with a lot of feelings. But I was selected for leadership positions at a very young age outside of the military. And I feel like had I not had those leadership opportunities at an extremely young age in the military, I would not have been ready to take on a leadership role at 25 when everybody else around you is in their 30s or 40s. Yeah. So without that military experience, I don't even know if I would be a leader today. Yeah. Yeah. Some people probably wouldn't be. If no. They didn't get that type of experience, especially so young in life. Now, after hygiene school, you've been out of the military for a little bit now. You're in the civilian workforce. What are you doing at first? You running your own little business? How does this work for hygienists? Do they go work for someone's office? Like It depends. It depends on what state you're in, and it depends on what stage you are in in your hygiene career. I think that, you know, that's one thing we haven't nationalized yet is dental hygiene. And so every state is a little bit different, right? Out west, they tend to be able to do more without a doctor's presence where on the east coast where we're much more populated we mostly just work in dental offices under a dentist and then you know there's corporate dentistry which i know a lot of people frown upon that's a lot of my experiences in corporate dentistry but i've worked for private practices there's public health where you can work for the state so there's a lot of different clinical options and then which what I've shifted into is non-clinical. You can't be clinical forever. Um, you'll break your back, you know? Yeah. So. so the shift, how was that at first? Was it difficult going from, you know, kind of being up and around on your feet all day, um, scraping teeth to now mentoring and watching other people scrape teeth? Oh, or yeah. I mean, when I shifted into that corporate role with, you know, the the larger you know, dental company, I put on like 40 pounds. I also quit smoking that year because I was like, oh shit, I'm going to be driving around in a corporate car, going to all these offices, having lunch, having dinner, and I can't smoke. So I had to quit smoking, which I was not prepared to do. And then on top of that, you get behind the wheel for four or five hours a day sometimes, and you're not going to make the most choices or the better choices, right? You're going to stop at McDonald's or wherever you yeah, want to stop. Yeah, get that quick little bite. Yeah, yeah. Chick-fil-A, right? Oh, if yeah. I could get it's it. Delicious. <laughs> but it, it was a bit of a wake-up call, and going from a clock in, clock out, to a salaried position, I, I struggled with that. I had no, no work-life balance. I worked all the time, um, which is probably why I was single for so long, right? Because I loved my work so much, and I loved my team. But... Now, once I shifted into, you know, a director position and then eventually away from that company to this new company, I have much better kind of stops and barriers. And um, I feel like I've come a long way, but I still struggle. I still struggle trying to balance. I still struggle trying to find time, right? You see me at the end of the day. Um, but I think you, you have to figure out what's most important to you with your career and with your family, and you have to be able to make that shift. And some people can't, some people work all the time, you know, all hours of the night, Saturday, Sundays, they literally will call you at any time and they have, they have no sense of, of a boundary. 
Yeah, I see that a lot sometimes too, right? You see some people like I did recruiting for a little bit, and you know I'd see like the fucking four Marines across the hall. Those guys would be there before us, and they'd leave after us, and they were just like. Yeah, beating, beating the phones all the time, knocking on kids' doors, pulling them out of oh, class. Yeah. Like, well, who were, let's go. Whose like, house were we at where we were just talking about this? I wish someone would have told me about the band. I wish oh, I would have known. <laughs> I wish I would have known that I could have continued that violin that my parents got me, and then I could have joined a military branch, active duty, made rank, and played in the band. That's what I wish someone would have told me. There's a plug for the band, anybody that's <laughs> out there want to be in the army band, give them a call. Yeah. If you're good enough, you'll be shredding on that guitar. <laughs> um, so some of the leadership things or shortcomings, I guess, that the military doesn't prepare people for, what would those be? Do you recommend any books, any trainings, um, any maybe other podcasts that they might listen to? What are your thoughts on that? I think that it's not, I don't think it's just the military that's missing the mark. I think it's a lot of companies that assume leadership, right? And I recently read a book where they say competence is sometimes mistaken for competence and that people will get promoted or hired because they appear to be confident. And that's one thing the military teaches you, like, Fake it till you make it. Oh, yeah, you could be dumb as no, shit. No one be, knows. No I mean, one knows. It's usually like the loudest person in the room. They're like, that guy. That guy that right guy's there. That guy's smart as fuck. Listen to him. He's exactly. Loud. Well, that happens on the outside of the military too, right? It's whoever appears to be more confident is normally going to get the job or they're going to get the promotion or something like that. That's not what a good leader is. And so I think that even corporate, corporate America right now is trying to find where's that happy medium? When do we start introducing these courses or these books or things like that to, to set these leaders up for success? Because we do a really good job of promoting people because they're doing a good job in their current role. Not necessarily this is a person that is a leader that other people are going to want to naturally follow. It's a very big shift. So it depends. And there's a lot of different leadership books out there. There's a lot of different courses that you can take. One of the books that I'm having my newer leadership team read right now is they don't teach corporate in college. And so you have to almost find like a book trail of, hi, I'm a very beginning leader. And these are the types of books that I should read. But honestly, the military of all institutions should implement a very good leadership program because I feel like, at least for the Coast Guard, I didn't get any form of leadership training until I hit E5. Uh, see, the Army has uh, WLC for specialists that are becoming sergeants. Yeah. It's a requirement now to go through that first, and they've even added layers all the way through, I think, Master Sergeant now. I think it's like a senior leader course or above senior leader, like yeah. master leaders course. But they try and instill those values in us too and help us, you know, because I think one of my buddies was saying he was writing a paper the other day and I'm like, for what? And he's like, I'm in this MLC and I'm like, that sounds fucking terrible. Yeah. And I'm working on my master's and I don't want to write my papers either, but you know, I get it. You know, yeah. I guess it's similar for them. 
yeah at that stage of their career so because even then that class i can't even remember the name of the class i mean i've been out i've been out for over a decade <laughs> which sounds like forever to, to, it sounds like well when i think about it it's a completely different lifetime ago i'm a different human being like it doesn't even seem like the same person that went through that experience so and i mean it's only 11 years ago but it feels like I don't even know who that person is. Yeah, it happens quick, yeah. too. Yeah. It's like out, outside looking in. Yeah. When I, You're like, I couldn't do that now. No, are you, back then. <laughs> are you kidding? The best sleep I ever got was on duty because I knew I wasn't going to be late. Oh, yeah, and there think, you go. I think that's why I don't sleep very well because I'm like, I'm always, I feel like I'm going to be always late. Gonna get, yeah, you're always going to get that. <laughs> you got fire guard, bitch, get up, you know, let's go. Get your shit. Like, oh, no, I slept in. Um... <laughs> Now, I know that you've helped other veterans out. Um, you recently started doing some volunteer work, and you're helping do mock interviews and look over resumes. Now, what are some common mistakes that you're seeing veterans missing the mark on when it comes to maybe possibly trying to tell their story of what they did in the military and make it make sense on paper? That, I would say, is the biggest mistake that I see is that the 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 separating member the separated member has no idea how to take what they did in the military and put that into how that equates to civilian life right and uh, doing some of these mock interviews and hearing some of these members one is still in she's about to get out and one is out and they've both accomplished amazing things that they should be extremely proud of. But when they speak about it, to them, it, it isn't a big deal. It's like, oh, this is the tiniest thing. I helped my team. I helped my guys is what I heard a lot. Like, yeah. I don't know. I, I'm like, did you have a passion for this? Or I just had to help my guys. They're still my job. They're just right? doing yeah. their job, right? And so they have a hard time taking that and then putting to how it equates to the civilian world. Um, which it does quite a bit. And so one of my good friends that got out a few years, you know, a few years ago now, he really struggled with that. And so now he does extremely well. You know, he's gotten a couple good jobs with a couple good promotions and none of his experience changed. It's the way that he wrote it on his resume that got picked up by LinkedIn recruiters and things like that. You have to know what keywords recruiters are going to pull and look at and it's not military terms it's it's what is that military term or action or job so mean no acronyms no at well corporate acronyms, corporate maybe. loves their acronyms but they like to make their own acronyms gotcha. but yes an entire sentence on your resume cannot be an acronym Nice. I love you just closed your standing goal while <laughs> sitting down on a podcast. That's amazing. Stay in the groove. Standing all day while you're sitting over there. All right. Um, so, yeah, any other things? Just really kind of break it down, get rid of the large military acronyms, and try and work through what you've done and maybe maybe put it out there for some feelers for some people to look over maybe some friends or absolutely i would say the more people that you have review your resume that are out and don't have 
don't have like your first class or somebody else look at it because they're either going to tell you it looks like dog shit without reading it or they're going to tell you it looks great because they don't know what an external civilian resume should look like. Yeah, no, and they do try and touch on that, I feel like, in the, um, some people call it TAPS class or, yeah. you know, ETS, whatever it's called. I can't remember. No now. one's normally listening, right, during yeah. that TAPS class, though, as we talked about, like, I think the first day that I went, it was a full room. And then every day there were less and less people in there. But, you know, I was really concerned about finishing my separation physical, like finishing. I was not paying attention. And so I think that it's probably a very good program, but I just don't think that there's enough supervision. There's not enough encouragement to go and it, for me, when I was getting out, you know, we had had a, a command change and I had a different chief and they didn't even encourage me to go. They were like, well, you don't have to if you don't want to. And yeah. I still went because I just didn't want to work for, yeah, for the for week. Last week. But I was so. like, oh, my God, this is a really beneficial class. Why would they not be encouraging members to go to set them up for success? And they don't. It's, they... Some leaders, when they find out you're getting out, they don't want anything to do with you after yeah. that. No, that's true. Talked about that before. Yeah. Right? They'll just let you uh, hang yourself and give you enough rope to do it, too. Pretty much. And, uh, you know, that's the difference between leaders and people wearing rank. Exactly. I feel, definitely. Now, I know, you know, you're going to continue your corporate job and all that stuff, but I know you have some other things in the works. Uh, you want to talk about those? Yes. Maybe you got a book coming up or a website? There, there are definitely a few things in the works right now. Um, personally, I am working on, you know, opening my business to help people with their resumes um, and interview skills. And so that is something that I've just started helping friends and family with over the last six months to really see what the benefit is, but to help people put their stuff out there and speak highly of themselves. Um, and then I am working on a podcast myself with another very successful friend and woman, and it's called um, Intimate Conversations with Independent Women. And so it's a great, a great topic flow from personal to professional to, for independent women. You know, I love you very much. You know, we've <laughs> been married a couple months, but, you know, before you being on my own for quite some time, there are a lot of women that are navigating that personally and professionally without a lot of guidance. And so, you know, I, I got a lot of my guidance from my dad. You know, he had three girls, so I think he chose me as the golden boy. Yeah. Uh, if he wasn't <laughs> going to have a son, it was going to be me. Yep. But, you know, I learned a lot, and I got a lot of my strength and my perseverance from, from him and my mom. But a lot of people don't, they don't have that, or they don't know where to start, and they think that they're the only ones. So I'm hoping that I can take some of that from the podcast for the book I'm working on. Um, but the book is slow moving, my friend. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I feel like it's going to take some time. Right? Yeah. For anything that's worthwhile. Absolutely. Uh, anything else you want to say, talk about? No, I appreciate you having me on as, yeah. your, as your first guest. Thank you. On your podcast. But, I appreciate yeah. it.
Well, I appreciate you all tuning in, and if you could, if you like it, please share the podcast. Try and get some more listeners out there. I appreciate every single one of you. And I'm going to wrap today up with a quote from Albert Einstein. Try not to become a man of success, but rather try to become a man of value. And with that, 